Hello and welcome to Visa Talks, interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. I'm your host for today, Maria Roa, and I am delighted to be joined by Anne-Marie Colliander Lind. Anne-Marie is a recognized force in the global language industry landscape. She has spent almost 30 years helping multinational organizations solve their language issues, serving in executive sales and management positions and leading service technology and market research companies. Anne-Marie is the CEO of Increase, a management consulting company based in Sweden that assists companies in their growth and development strategies. She's a sought after speaker and is engaged as the marketing director of Love World. She's also the co-organizer of the Nordic Translation and Interpretation Forum and the president of the Swedish Association of Translation Companies, which I could try to pronounce. I tried before, but I'm, I'm not gonna go for it. It's too complicated, so. I really have no idea how to do it. And Marie, you need to give me your secret how you are into so many things. You are very, very welcome to the show today. Well, thank you very much, Marie. I'm so excited to be here. And yeah, thanks for having me. No, it is great having you. Thank you for being here. First of all, uh, I would like to ask you, you're helping at many localization events, including the big one, Lock Worlds. What is it that attracted you to start working in this industry? How did everything start for you? Well, uh, actually, uh, by education, I'm a building engineer and um, a real estate broker. Mm -hmm. So I had no linguistic background at all when I accidentally slipped into this industry in 1990. So it's actually more than 30 years. <laughs> I have to update my bio. <laughs> But, um, and I was very, uh, I didn't even know as many people outside of our industry that there is an industry that is called translation or interpretation or localization industries. For many, they just draw a blank when you say what you do. But I was lucky enough to uh, get engaged as a project manager at a, the time, the biggest translation company in Stockholm, where I stayed for five years. and. Why go back when you have once entered this lovely industry with all these amazing people that you mean that you meet? And I've always had a passion for language and traveling. So it was sort of I, I probably should have started another educational career if I could change, but uh, no need to. I ended up in the best industry there is. I think you're right. And I think it's it's funny what you say that everyone thinks all these like uh, translation uh, uh, industry blends because they, they really don't know, right? They don't know the differences between translation, localization. They think that it's all the same. Indeed. And why, why should they? I mean, if you are, I don't know, a brain surgeon or if you are the national architect or if you're something else, I mean, translation. We have to face it. It's just something that happens there in the background and you don't have to pay attention unless something goes really, really wrong. So, yeah, which means we do our work really, really well, I guess. I'd say so. I'd say so, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think is the future of the localization industry? What are some of the changes you see on the horizon and what are the next steps people in the industry and in business should be thinking about? Well, definitely, uh, there is 
a lot of things changing very rapidly right now. Uh, I was listening into a conversation yesterday where some one of the panelists said that, you know, it used to be that you had a year or two to prepare for a bigger change. Now you go to sleep and the next morning you wake up and there is something new that you need to know about. Yes. And there is no there is no difference in our industry. Um, at the same time, I mean, we don't do translations, localizations today as we did it 30 plus years ago when I started, definitely not. But we didn't make shoes the same way either. So, I mean, all business, all verticals are evolving with the help of technology. So I think what specifically our industry needs to look out for is, of course, uh, services that can take over. Either it's AI-driven services or it's it's uh, low-cost market entrances into where you have your sweet spot. So I think always keep an eye on trends and try to be creative and see opportunities for added value services. I can I can truly I truly believe that we will see new types of language-related services, not necessarily just transferring one text or one voice or one subtitle into many other languages, but uh, multilingual services in general, in hospitals, in customer services, we see it already, but I see that the um, companies of our industry could probably, you know, come in there and take part of that market share. So keeping in ear to the ground and always watch out for what is next, but not necessarily run on every ball because then you are getting super tired and they probably will give up sooner or later. So being no. cautious, being patient and uh, follow the trends. Mm -hmm. 100% and talking about trends, what, what do you think about online um, and uh, social media that I know you're passionate about? Because after the pandemic, the world changed a lot and many companies found new markets through online selling and social media. So do you believe this fostered the growth of the localization industry as more organizations look to expand services and products online in new markets? I mean, is this something that we really need to look into? Well, well, I'm, I'm a little bit ambivalent right now when it comes to social media, because I think with everything that is happening um, behind the scenes, with the algorithms, with everything seems to be more and more streamlined. What used to be a feature in Twitter that everybody loved, it's now suddenly something that is in, in every different social media and so on and so forth. So with this streamlining, I, I actually become less and less interested of it. I do believe though that it's still a very strong business opportunity if you do it right. It's just that you have to be very careful in choosing your audience, um, know who you're targeting, um, write of course as always relevant content that sticks out that people will engage with, but also to avoid the mistakes of having too close to a fan club. Because now with the algorithms working the way they are, if you always have the same candidates liking and commenting and engaging with your posts, that post will just be shown more and more times for exactly the same type of audience. So if your fan club is your family, your friends, <laughs> your employees, 
it's very unlikely that you will reach out beyond that target audience. And here, of course, I'm talking about small to medium sized companies that have limited budget. If you have tons of money, you can do whatever you want and you will still be successful. But if you have a limited budget for those kinds of activities, you need to plan it quite carefully nowadays. Um, five years ago, it was easier, I'd say. You could trick the system, you, you could learn all the different perks of, of each individual social media and do it cleverly to reach out to the people that you want. Today, it's much more complicated. Hmm. Yeah, that's actually, I think you're completely right. It's uh, all the algorithms are changing daily and that makes it yes. really complicated. And sometimes we thought that by telling all our friends and employees, like you're saying, please just uh, like it. So we're going to get to be seen by more people. That doesn't work anymore. Mm -mm, mm -mm. And um, yeah, again, they change on a daily basis, what you thought you knew last week, and then you're going to show it to someone and said, nope, that's yep. not an option anymore. No. And I also think that we also saw a big change uh, in how you can use social media for your marketing with the strengthened GDPR legislations. Mm, yes. um, so these nice options that you could pick to say, I want this to be shown for people who follow follows me and follow me and their friends. It's in most countries, that's not an option anymore because you're not, in, you're not allowed to do that because of yeah. integri integrity reasons. So. so what impact has digital transformation and moving more discussions online has on the typical sales processes for localization? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, well, we all had to adjust, whether we liked it or not, during the pandemic to, to become digital. And uh, I think it, <clears throat> if anything good came out of the, the pandemic, that would be it. That a lot of uh, governmental bodies, slow moving companies had also to adjust to a digital environment, which I think is good. Uh, we're saving a lot, especially in, let's say, interpreting services. Now that we have uh, shifted a lot of the on-site interpreting to online interpreting over the phone interpreting, which is good for the interpreters, it's good for the customers, it's also good for the environment that we don't have mm -hmm. to travel the world to see our clients. So um, it has changed a lot uh, for the landscape, but specifically for sales, one of the challenges is, of course, that it's difficult to cut through the technical filter. It's, um, I experienced that the sales cycle are longer because it's more difficult to read body language and see these subtle signs of improvement. Uh, I mean, improvement if you, um, if you are in a negotiation mm -hmm. uh, situation. If you are in the same room, you can normally observe and sense that what I'm saying now makes sense. And if it doesn't make sense, you can change slightly or you can yes. give a little bit extra to seal the deal. But in the, um, in the digital meeting, it's very difficult to tell. So I'm, I'm observing sales team wasting more time on opportunities because they can't vet is this really going to go through or not? And then as with most other things, it works for some, it works for, it doesn't work for others. 
So I have seen individuals that have been sort of uncomfortable in the physical room shine in the digital room and the other way around. So very, you know, um, people uh, sort of like myself, I'm a people person. I need to, to touch and feel and, and meet and, and so on. So without that, I'm a pretty bad salesperson. So I think, yeah. you know, some people gain from this and, and some, some yeah, loss. Let me add something to that because I feel it's also a cultural thing because I, I live in Spain and we are also a people person, you know, like we do everything and we close everything kind of like, I'm going to say with a meal, but it's like, we need to meet <laughs> the other person. And sometimes business are done because we really like the other person. I mean, that that's it. We like the people that we're working with. And that's the reason why I chose you as a supplier instead of another person. It's because I feel comfortable with you. And that happens many times and many places. It's not because it's like a few dollars more expensive or a few dollars cheaper. It's just because I really feel like we're going to be able to work together. And that behind a screen it's it's hard to be done you know I lived in Spain and I lived in Mexico and in Mexico I remember no deal was closed if we didn't have a meal and we drank tequila which for me was impossible <laughs> because I've never drank tequila so it was like no sorry I don't drink tequila and they were kind of like oh my god she needs to drink tequila to close this deal and I was like no but it was there it was the way they did it so i think it's something cultural sometimes that they need that people you know like that touch like you said in order to close a deal with the salespeople. so for them for some of them it must be a lot harder right indeed and in that sense i think i'm more spanish than i'm swedish <laughs> because i mean i i bet a lot of swedish people feel very comfortable not having to go there and risk uh, giving a, a sweaty handshake and uh, <laughs> being exposed in the room full of you're people. right about that too <laughs> but having, having said that uh i think there are uh, some markets that perhaps the differences weren't that great i mean if you look at selling in america there's a lot of i mean over the phone selling you mm. don't cross the continent to meet as regularly as we normally do in europe where you know it's just an hour jump with the flight and you're you're in Spain for an hour and a half. Um, so yeah, it differs, I, I believe, from culture to culture, but definitely we all had to adjust and, and some could uh, shine and some could not. And, uh... Okay, so now we're going to change matters. I would like to let our audience know that we're uh, recording this episode on March 2023, in case they're seeing this episode after the date. Uh, so at the time of their recording, you're no doubt busy with Local 49 Malmo, Sweden, which is your home city. And it is themed learning from the past, planning for the future. This should be an exciting event. What do you think makes Local World such a special event? Well, first of all, a disclaimer, Malmö is not my home city, but Sweden is my home country. I live two Sorry, hours from right. Malmö. <laughs> That's all right. No, I think I think what really uh, differs uh, Lockworld, and I am biased, so of course I think it's amazing. Uh, but I think what really differs is that we have a very high percentage of end clients 
So typically we have um, members of localization teams from the buyer side attending mostly, well, of course, to meet vendors and to network, but also to acquire knowledge and information. So we have very um, in-depth sessions on a variety of topics that are relevant for the end client side. We are also very keen always to have a um, number of case studies and uh, best practices from the buyer side, which I think is important because most of our many localization managers can be a one woman or one man show in their companies and uh, they don't really have a lot of people to benchmark ideas and so on. So, so um, offering them a platform where they can meet their industry peers and learn from each other. I think that's really, really a nice thing. I know many other conferences have content like that as well, but I do think that, that the highest percentage of end clients are visiting local. And it's also different in another perspective, and that is that it's not association driven. I mean, this is a business conference. Local does not do anything else than run a conference. Nowadays, biannually, but before COVID, we had actually three events per year, one in Asia, one in Europe, and one in North America. So it's a very international conference, and it's a business conference. So everyone knows why, why we're there, and uh, it's not driven by members for the members and, and associated with something else in the background. And just if anyone wants to attend, this one will be from June 6 to the 8, I believe, right? That's correct. And it actually starts with a welcome reception on the National Day of Sweden. So oh. that's, uh, yeah, there's a good reason to come to the conference uh, for the content, of course, but also because of the wonderful city of Malmö. People might think that this is in the middle of nowhere, but it's actually just a 20 minute train ride from Copenhagen International Airport. So when you land, you go straight from the arrival area down to the train that takes you right to the venue. And it's a short five minutes walk to the conference center. And uh, June is the most beautiful time of the year to visit Sweden. Sounds so, great. We'll be just saying. <laughs> tech will be there. <laughs> That's great to know. So this is going to be our last question. It went really fast, but we need to know at Increase, your currently work, uh, you're mentoring businesses to develop their strategies and help them grow. Can you share with us the kind of work that is involved when you have to mentor them? Does this include content, social, social media, sales? What is it? All of the above, I would say. But um, so when I engage with a with a company, which is my typical customer, is a small to mid-sized translation companies that have maybe been ten years in business or more, and they feel the urge of making a change. It can be growth. It doesn't have to be growth. It it can also be entering a new market or developing a new service. Uh, or just the fact that they have been stagnating and they don't know where to go next. Uh, and this is a battle that smaller companies always have uh, because they, they are in competition with much larger players with more muscles and what, do, what to do next. So uh, my typical engagement is to first of all go and get to know the company, but then follow the company for a certain amount of months 
And here I typically work with the owner or the CEO, or if there's more people in the management team together with the management team. So in weekly or bi-weekly calls, we discuss um, the challenges the company have, and I, I'm sort of making them accountable that they are actually proceeding. I'm not going to solve the problems for them. Uh, in the assessment workshop we do first, we come up with a long list of, of action items, and then I make them accountable to actually, you know, move forward. Mm -hmm. Because most of these company owners are, are quite alone uh, and uh, don't necessarily have a professional um, management network that they can bounce ideas with. So that's basically what I do. And then the translation industry is built, uh, the foundation is, is very well educated professional linguists normally that has evolved into business people and they know every nitty gritty detail about their, their operations, their processes, their quality assurance, their certifications and everything. But they are normally not that acquainted with the sales and marketing side yeah. of things. So that's sort of a, a gray zone where they don't know how to tackle. So how do you hire your first salesperson? How do you start a social media campaign? Where do you go? Where do you post it? Because if you have grown your business over the last 10 years by just by organic growth and you haven't really done anything, and suddenly the audits are not coming in anymore, what do you do then? Or you feel the urge of, of, of growing because you want to make an exit. You want to sell your company in a couple of years. So that's typically where I come in, where a company owner feels lonely or in the need of, of support in the, in the changes they want to make. Do you have any uh, where, where they can contact you? Can you give it to our audience in case? Indeed, either they can go to visit my website, which is INCREA, I-N-K-R-E-A.se, which together with the abbreviation of, of the domain is INCREASE. <laughs> Uh, or they can just write me at annemarie at increa.se. That's also possible. That's great. Well, we'll leave it out there. And uh, my last question would be, is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience today? Well, I thought about uh, that question and I am a strong believer in networking, not only for the fun of networking, but also that you can build your tribe with the help of your network. So if you are a small company business owner, if you are a localization manager on the buy side or anyone else and, and feel you know that you sometimes need support, it doesn't need to be that you hire a paid consultant. You can build a tribe and a network with peers that can support you. And here, and I think this has also grown during the pandemic coming back to that, there are so many great networks. I mean, you can go to Lockland, you can engage with Global Sake, you can join women in localization or any other means of contact. So start working on your network. And this is also a social media thing. Engage, mm -hmm. find friends, engage with other people that, you know, have similar needs or similar challenges as you do, because um, alone is not strong. It's better to have a tribe around you that you can trust. So for business and privately, that's what I would like to add to the conversation. That's such a great advice to end up with. 
Thank you so much, Anne-Marie. It was great, great having you. It was a pleasure talking to you. Well, thank you for inviting me. And again, it was uh, it was my pleasure. Well, so that's the end of today's show with Anne-Marie Colliander-Lind. Uh, please make sure to tune in again to see and or to listen to the next Peace to Talk show, where we'll be discussing more interesting topics with interesting people from all around the world.